What would our world be without leaders, innovators, and kingdom builders? Welcome to Under the Crown, where you get inside the twisted minds of our host, Trey Carmichael, and the kings and queens in his circle. Covering leadership, marketing, sales, recruiting, management, and so much more. Under the Crown is here to help you build your kingdom. Are you prepared for the siege? What's going on, guys? It's your man here, Trey Carmichael, coming at you with another episode of Under the Crown. And today I've got the man, the myth, the legend, Stephen Kuhn in the house. How you doing today, man? All right. Real quick, are you recording? Yes, I am. Okay, great, because I don't see it here recording. Just so you know, just so you don't do this whole, whole episode without without a recording. Yep, I record with an AI system called Fathom, so it's recording us right now. Oh, really? Okay, so you're into AI. See, I'm, I'm, I'm way behind the times. I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome, man. So in your words, what is it that you do and why do you do it? You know, I'm to, to put it loosely, I'm a business advisor. And the reason I do business advisory is because I've turned around over 100 businesses in my life, raised over $500 million, um, uh, for, for my clients, and have had owned about 20 of my own companies. And so I have a lot of experience. I've lived in 10 countries, worked in, and traveled in even more countries for business. And that experience is unparalleled. And so I can walk into just about any business, doesn't matter what the sector is, and boil down the issues and the challenges to a few things and then work on those and have immediate impact, uh, not, not only in the personnel, uh, in the staffing, but also in the revenue operations and organization, SOPs, that kind of thing. And it's it's quite simple for me because I don't do the work myself necessarily. If you need a specialist, I'm going to find you a specialist out of my network of about 50,000 people. And so my strength as a business advisor is my access that my clients gain the access that my clients gain to, for instance, I had a, I had a um, guy in Austria wanted to sell his products to the American government, and for that he needs to manufacture in America, and so on and so forth. So I went out and found him that stuff, and uh, you know found him a distributor, manufacturer, and a uh, government contractor. Got him hooked up, set it up, and I got equity in that company, which was my first M and A deal basically. I got equity in that company, and then when I exit, I get so and so much of that. Um, and he would never have had that if it wasn't for me. He would have gone through months and months and months of trying to figure out where do I get the right kind of guy? Where do I get the right manufacturer? Where do I get the distributor? Uh, and so that's what I do. I offer access basically through my business advisory. And you're always going to come out the, uh, at the other end a better person because I coach everything according to my book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha. That's beautiful, man. So what is the, how did Steven become the man that gets to do all these incredible things today? Dude, crashing and burning, man. I've crashed and burned more times than I've been successful. And, and that's that's not even joking. And crashing and burn does, doesn't mean losing everything forever, which I did three times, right? I lost everything I had three times, like everything, all my money, relationships, assets, whatever. I lost three times, right? And it was funny. I, had, I was going through a divorce uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago. And I was at the end of my rope, man. You know, I was like, I can't do this. And I'm like, I, this is my second marriage. I, I screwed that up too. I can't, I, you know, and I was at the end of my rope and I called my twin brother. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I can make it anymore. Like, I don't think I, I want to be here anymore. And it's my twin brother who never gives me a compliment, right? And he said, um, 
dude, there's if there's anybody that can make this happen and get up and do it again, it's you. I've never seen anybody that can do that that's gotten up so many times as you. And I was like, whoa, my brother said that to me, you know, like, <laughs> you know. So I think that really helped me put it in perspective um, that all the success I have equals the negative loss that I've had. So it's like as above, so below, like they say in the Kabbalion. If you look at a metronome, which is what they use to for pianos, it goes tick, 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 back and forth, right? Well, it always goes as far left as it does right. So the same thing is with pain and pleasure. As deep as, deep as your pain is, is, as high as you can experience pleasure. Your threshold grows as the threshold grows down and up. It's really strange, but I feel like the deeper I fall, that means the higher I'm going. So when I'm down there and I can get out, I'm like, oh, man, I just got out of that shit. Now I can't wait to see where I'm going now. Yeah. And that's honestly how I think. That's honestly how – otherwise, I'd have, I'd have killed myself the two times that I tried. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I attempted suicide twice in my life. And something stopped it or fixed it or saved me or whatever. And I always look at that and go, man, that was the lowest I've ever been. But, man, that means I'm going to have a, a newer high, a new high, too. And so if you can look at life in perspective and know that it's a game, it's not a sprint, it's a long-ass freaking journey. And that every day something can happen that can change anything forever, everything forever. And when you believe in that and you see that every day, you never get bored, you never worry, you never buy, you worry a little bit. You don't worry about things. Okay, what's going to happen? It doesn't matter. It's the long game, the big picture, right? That's what matters. Just getting through the day is what I worry about. How do I get through the day with as little work as possible? Making as much money as possible. And the only way to do that, that I've found, is passive income, which I have a few, which is, there's a million ways to do that. But the big way is owning companies but not running them. That's a big way to earn money mm-hmm. without spending any time. And that's sort of where I'm focusing now with the business advisory. Beautiful, man. So one of the first conversations that we ever had, you asked me if I was a chaos kid, too. I'm going to take the opportunity real quick and ask you what that actually means to you. Yeah. Chaos kids. Chaos kids are children that grew up in broken households. Um, basically, always they, they're the kids that always had to try to get the attention. Like my, my mother was married a few times. And so the men always paid attention to her and she paid attention to them. They didn't pay attention to us. And we were always vying for, you know, attention, trying to do things better so we would be noticed and sort of um, always having to rely on ourselves to get things sort of further. Um, and that's a chaos kid. And if you look at most successful people across the planet, almost every single one of them is a chaos kid. Because we're so used to striving and pushing and, and, and shoving and making our way to the top as much as possible, as fast as possible, as noticeable as possible, that carries on through our, through our, um, our adulthood. Those who have a sheltered, cushioned life, they may be successful in one way, but that's where they are. Like they, they don't change. Chaos kids are mm-hmm. in every direction. They're the crazy entrepreneurs, right? The ones who grow up all safe and everything, they're like corporate heads and CEOs and things like that. But chaos kids were entrepreneurs, man, you know, <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> so how did that, how did that chaos kid that you were end up finding his way into the military? Um, well, I, I knew it was I was too much chaos, and I knew that if I didn't do something, I wasn't going to make it too 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 far in life. Uh, you know, I, I I really loathed myself when I was in high school. I didn't have any friends. I had one friend. Uh, it was my brother's friend too, so we shared him. <laughs> um, and you know, it was just it was. Uh, I want to say I can't remember 
too many good times as a child. Like I honestly, when I look back, you know, the one father had a farm. So we'd get up at 4.30 in the morning, feed the goats, the chickens, the cows, the pigs, the horses, clean the stalls, rake the hay, all that kind of stuff, and then go to school, come back, and then work another six hours until it was dark on the farm, right? Uh, you know, that, that wasn't a fun childhood. You know, I got to shoot a lot of guns and go hunting all the time. That was great. But, but you know, other than that, I can't remember much. And so uh, for me, um, having to rely on myself for entertainment, for, you know, enter, you know, sort of um, um, analyzing my own thoughts and feelings and hanging out with very select people, my brother and a friend, sometimes my sister, um, I think that forced me to say, Look, dude, no one's going to do it for you. you got to do it by yourself. No one's going to help your ass at all, which, of course, was a negative at first because it was hard because I wanted to be a loner. Like, you go to the military, you know, you need to work as a team. Well, I was like, no one's going to fucking help me anyway, so I'm going to do it myself. And that didn't work in the military. <laughs> and I learned really quick that it's teamwork. And then, of course, I became a team uh, and, and became a team member, and I, I relished in the military. I loved the military until the war. Uh, I, I absolutely loved the military. I was strapping. My uniform was perfect. I never missed a beat. I loved it. Every second of PT, I was there early. Every it was, I loved it. I loved it. Seven years, seven just over seven years in Germany the whole time. So how did the skills and experience that you collected during that time play in the business when you got out? Uh, I would say it's more the soft skills and sort of leadership, structuring, um, and, you know, delegation, implementation, trust in, in the individual that they're going to actually, you know, uh, you know, sort of do things that they're supposed to do, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of you always having to hover over them. Um, I think that was a big part of it because most leaders, when they become leaders at first in the civilian world, they think they have to control everything, right? Uh, and you can't control everything. You try to control something, you're going to control it into the ground. Right. Uh, delegation, delegation of the task, not the responsibility. You know, like when you're, you're non, you're a non-commissioned officer, you're in charge of getting the tanks fixed and you don't, you don't just say, go ahead and do it private and they're responsible. No, you're still responsible. Right. So just the task is being done by somebody else, but your, the, you know, your responsibility is still there. And all these things that I learned in the military, I implemented in the civilian world and they were like, holy shit, who's this guy? Like, I mean, I remember the first corporation I went into, I blew it out of the way. I, I walked into the meeting the first time I got hired. Well, first of all, I didn't even want to go to get hired. I didn't want a job because I had three cocktail bars, right, in Berlin, Germany. And they were, I was doing like 30K a month in each one. It was awesome, you know, revenue. It was back in 1997, I think, or six, eight maybe. And uh, uh, my ex-wife, you know, my wife at the time, you know, I worked from, I don't know, like seven at night until three in the morning in, in, in my bar, right, one of them. And then I would lay on the sofa and sleep and chill out and go to the gym and stuff. And she goes, you need to do something during the day. And I'm like, whatever. And she filled out an application for me. And I signed it while I was laying on the sofa, sent it in. And they called me and said, come to an you know, interview for this health club chain. And I was like, Fucking, all right, whatever. So I went in a three-piece suit, right? I go to this thing and I go into this this building. And there's like 20 people sitting in the hallway, all in shorts, T-shirt, this kind of – I'm like, what the fuck? And it's and I was like, okay, I'm out of here. This is the wrong place for me. As soon as I was getting to walk out, someone came out of the door and said, "Hey, uh, who, who are you?" I said, "I'm here for the I'm here for the application uh, for the job interview, but I feel like I, I think I'm in the wrong place here. I'm, I'm obviously overdressed." He goes, "No, no, no, come on in." So I went in front of everybody, and I remember I went in there. He's like, "Well, talk to me about my experience." He goes, "Okay, why would we hire you and and none of those people outside the door?" 
And I said, because it, I'm not going to stop until I reach the goal. As a matter of fact, you tell me what, what your best goal was, and I'll beat it by, by 20%. I promise you that. And if I don't do that in three months, you, you don't have to pay me. And he was like, what? Is that, how stupid is that? How silly is that you're talking about? I said, look, I don't need this job. I'm self-employed. I have three businesses. They all run. But if you want someone to come in here and kick some ass, that's what I'm going to do. And he's like, all right, you're hired. He went out, opened the door. Okay, everybody can leave. We hired him. And uh, I did. I went into the meeting the first day. I said, who here has done the top sales in the company? He said, oh, man, just got over here. And I said, okay, I want to beat it by 30% next month. And I did. And it was on pure zero knowledge of the industry, zero knowledge of what I was doing. It was pure, I got to get this done, man. Military mindset. We got to get it done. doesn't fucking matter how. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I did it. I did it. And from that point on, it was like, <laughs> and I got headhunted, recruited. Until one time, you know, I, I was I was at that company that was a South African PLC. And then I went to, I got headhunted by a, a British PLC. They're paying me like 27000 a month. To work for them. I'm 32 years old going, what the, where am I? I just got out of the army. What the heck is this all about? And I'll never forget. I'm sitting there when they, when they promoted me in this new, this, this new company. I'm sitting there I'm going, I don't even know what a P&L is. Because my, my boss just feels like, hey, look, look, check out the P&L. What do you see? I'm like, I see a bunch of numbers. He goes, you don't know what a P&L is? I'm like, no. He goes, how did you run out of the company? I said, I didn't do any of the finances. It was all operations. I was like, you know, profit and loss. And I was, and I was sitting there. I was like, you know what, Mark, I can't do this shit. I'm done. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. This is, this is way over my head. And he said, Stephen, shut the hell up. If I see it in you, then it's in you. Just do the work. I was like, whoa, it's true. If he sees it in me, then it must be in me. And I, I was like, click, and I crushed it again from then on. Okay, so let's rewind just a little bit. You came out of the military and very quickly had a few different businesses. What did your first business venture look like, and how did that actually go? Well, the first business venture I had was a construction company doing drywall, right, in Germany. And at the same time, I was working security, right, so I could earn some money, and selling insurance. So I had three jobs at the same time. So that was my my goal was, okay, I'm getting out of the military. I'm going to hustle for about a year or two. Then I'm going to open my first bar. So I got out in 93 and in 96 to open my first bar. And in those three years, I worked my ass off, right? Uh, the construction company was a total flop. Um, they, they still owe me to this day about 50 grand. I'll, I'll never get it, of course. Um, but we had, we, we did some good cash flow. We made some good money. Um, and then, uh, I did the insurance company business. And then, um, we had a boutique where we showed, we sold, my ex-wife was Turkish. Uh, I'm living in Turkey now, funny enough. Um, and um, uh, we took uh, clothing from Turkey, uh, imported it to Germany, and we're selling it in the boutique. I mean, we did everything. Entrepreneurs went crazy. And uh, then I really got serious and opened my first cocktail bar in 96, and that just shot to the roof. I did the classic American, round the mirror in the back, you know, the stacks of, of alcohol. I was doing flair. You know, I, I worked at TJ Fridays there in, in between for a couple, about a year as a, as a waiter. I learned flair as a bartender. Um, and then I was in my bar, I had TVs up at the top, super classy, like mahogany bar handmade. The whole was beautiful. I spent 250,000 on 40 square meters, which is like as big as a living room. Uh, <laughs> way too much money, but it really got a name for itself. Matter of fact, to this day, I was just in Berlin uh, in December. It's still there and it's still operational since 1996. It's still there. Same logo, different name. You know, and I, and, and I, I walk in there and they're like, oh, you're Steven, you're there. Everyone knows who I am. 
Because tourists still come there and go, we're Stephen, we're Stephen, we're Stephen, we're Stephen. Every time they go in there, you know, it was like the, it was like a, it was icon because it was the first American bar that was ever in Berlin. It was awesome. Yeah. So, okay, so let's bring it back, back up to a little bit more than now. A business advisor is ultimately a very, very broad word. Let's clarify a little bit of what that means to you and talk a little bit about your actual process. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I again, I work with Unleash Your Humble Alpha. So this is my this is my process of living a life, an epic life, right, as a leader that you're meant to be and owning your presence. And so if we start with the five concepts that are in the book, the first one is hit, honesty, integrity, and transparency, honesty with yourself, why you do say and think like you do, transparency is how you step into the world with that honesty, and it's your ongoing reputation. And the, the byproduct is, is integrity. Integrity makes you authentic. Authenticity allows you to dictate your market value. That's number one. Right. When you're living by hit, you're honest with yourself no matter what. And honesty means, why do I feel like I have to say this now? Why do I feel like I don't have to say that now? Why do I feel like be honest with yourself? Why? Because I'm scared what someone's going to think or because I don't want to show that person too much because they might get a big head. You have to realize all these things and then adjust accordingly in order to get the results that you need in life. Right. Second one is is creating space, the most powerful concept at all of, of everything you'll ever do. And this, this works with everything, meetings, spouses, children, you name it. Creating space is showing up wholly and fully for the person in front of you with no preconceived notions or cookie-cutter solutions or expectation of a specific outcome, focusing on the only thing that you can control, and that is the intention of adding value by solving problems. When you show up like that, you create the space around the two of you or the group of you, and you start coming up with ideas and solutions that you alone never would have come up with. And now I use that massively, and I teach that in the M&A space as well. I speak all over the world. It was, in, it was in Dubai last month. Spoke about creating space. Spoke about hit. Spoke about life enterprise, right, which is the next concept, life enterprise. Um, you know, you're the CEO of your own life enterprise, just like the CEO of a business enterprise. You're responsible for its well-being and health. Right of this business, who do you answer to? A CEO answers to the board of directors and the um, shareholders. And who's that in your life? Board of directors is your immediate family. Shareholders is everybody else in your life. And how do you treat them? You elevate them. You treat them. You leave them in a better place than when you met them. Right. And so when you're a CEO, when you treat your life like a business enterprise as your life enterprise, then you're going to be the person that's always valued when you walk into a room and you walk into your life, your kids and your wife and your husband and all that. Fourth one is um, investing in relational capital. It's the only guaranteed return of any investment you'll ever make. Law of reciprocity dictates when you do good, do good unto others, others will do good unto you. Uh, and that's that's where this elevation comes from. I always say leave people in a better place than when you met them, whether it's a minute, a day, a year, or a lifetime. Right. And if you focus on these little things, for instance, if you go to the grocery store and there's someone in front of you, the cashiers, like they're yelling at the cashier, just spend a moment with that cashier and let them know that they're valued. Right. Just say a few words, look at them in the eye, call them by their name. It just changes their life and it costs you nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. And what you're doing is you're investing in relational capital in your, the world around you and you will get a return on that. Fifth model is QOL or what we call quality of life. Right. That's that's enjoying the moment, no matter the task. That's the five core principles. And when you go through those four models, QOL is the result. You're going to enjoy every moment of your life, no matter the task. And I do. And I'm not bullshitting you. Like, I really do. I have hard times. I, I, you know, I really do. I have hard times. I have money issues sometimes. Through the divorce really 
gutted me, you know, house and all that stuff was gone, moved to Turkey, all this kind of stuff. I had issues as well. But I enjoyed those times as well. So I'm like, okay, this is a hard time. It means, it means good times are coming. Right? Hard mm. times create good, uh, hard man, you know, hard times create hard man, good times create soft man, that kind of stuff, you know? And so like, I don't see that on a global scale. I see it on a personal scale. If I'm having hard times, that means I'm going to be a, a tough guy coming, moving forward. So every time I'm moving forward, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, that concept is what I teach. I don't want to say teach. I accompany you on a journey through discovery of who you really are. Now that sounds, that sounds very esoteric and all that kind of stuff, but it's based upon your business, revenue, P&L, financials. What does the ownership structure look like? Do you have dividends? Don't you have dividends? I mean, what's your, you know, what's your accounting look like? Do you need a, an accountant, a bookkeeper, or you need someone, you know, to set up a new LLC or whatever? Like that business stuff, right? That's where I just, it's, I've done so much of it. You know, I've done so much of it that it's just second nature for me. So what I focus on, this was five core principles in the mergers and acquisition space to help business owners scale through acquisition, meaning I can take my company and I can invest and grow it, or I can acquire a like, like company, form them together and double my revenue overnight. And often I can buy that company for no money down. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's something that for me is a no brainer. You know, it's, it, it, it took a long time for me to get to get here. I took the long path. There's people that start out in M and A when they're 25 and they own, you know, 20 companies, 30 companies by the time they're 30. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I noticed that kind of plays into all of those things, especially the relationship capital, is the um, is the charisma. And you're one of the most chariz- charismatic people that I've ever met. Have you always been that way, or is that something that you had to build? I haven't always been that way. Nor has my wife, but she's like that way now, and so am I. And that's because of what I went through in this book. This book is not something I wrote. This is something I channeled. Like I, it literally came out of me. It was an interview process. It just came out of me while I was working with plant medicine. Right. And when I, when I read the book, I was like, Oh my God, that's my operating system. Like that's how I operate. That's me. So when you know who you are, it doesn't matter what's on the outside because I can stand in front of you, the president, Putin. It doesn't matter. And I'm the same person. I'm the same exact person. I don't get nervous who look down or look up. I'm the same person because I'm so um, uh, certain of who I am. I'm certain of my abilities to deploy my genius in any given situation that I'm always the same person. That's where the charisma comes from. Also, what you don't forget, what, what, what you want to remember is that presence is what you're talking about. Uh, charisma has a lot to do with presence. Presence comes through being present. And being present is how you are when you're what? Creating space. So when you create space, you're present, you have presence. Like right now, I'm talking to you and you only. There's nothing else going on in my head. There's nothing else going on out here, right? I'm here for you. Creating space. Let's make this happen. There's nothing scripted here. It's just us bouncing off each other and creating these these solutions. And the way that I'm saying what I'm saying right now, except for a few of the models, I've never said it this way before because it fits specifically to the situation. So that makes people feel special, heard, listened to, right? Because I really do. That's where the charisma comes in because I'm present for you right now. So let's move forward just a little bit before I run out of time with you here. You are one of the probably one of the world's forefront experts on mergers and acquisitions. It's something that a lot of business owners talk about wanting to get into because it's one of the quickest ways to grow your revenue, 
borderline overnight once you actually find the acquisition. So what advice do you have to the business owner that thinks that's their next route? I don't think I'm the world expert at it. I think I just known by known by more and more people because of the speaking that I do. Um, but my advice is this. Don't buy a job. <laughs> right. That's that's a big thing in our industry is like I don't want to buy a job. I don't want to buy a company that I have to run. Because then I can go get a job. I don't want to do that. I want to own companies and not run them. How do you do that? You do it by structuring a deal where you add value and therefore you gain equity. They still retain ownership of the company and run the company, but you own a part of it, sometimes majority, sometimes minority. And they're happy because the load is off their back. You take care of the finances, hire a financial controller or, you know, whatever, a controller or an accountant. Take care of the financials. You look at the books once or twice a month. Talk to the team once or twice a month, and you're good to go. You know, it's like this is what happens. This is how people own multiple businesses. One client, Ross, he uh, an incredible, incredible guy. This guy cannot be stopped. I've never met a guy, honestly, that is in so many different areas, so many different businesses, but in one niche of medical. So he's got testosterone replacement. He's got uh, medical care. He's got supplies. He's got like vaccines. He's got all, all this kind of stuff. He was one of my clients. We have a three-month program once a week on Zoom <clears throat> and just one-on-one. And this guy went from four companies to six companies in three months. And now I don't even know how many companies he has now. And all we did was found two managing directors that could come in and run the company for him so he could pull himself out of the day-to-day. Right? And he's like, oh, and now he's opening companies all over the world or acquiring companies all over the world. Um, so my advice is get in Jeremy Harbor's uh, Harbor Club course or Carl Allen or um, Roland Fraser's course. Those three are the three top M&A courses in the world. Matter of fact, in July, there's a online um, symposium with all three of them speaking, and then a bunch of other – I'm speaking as well. Uh, John Ketley is going to speak, like like, like the M&A specialist from around the world in one online summit, which Ross is actually organizing, funny enough. And it's really exciting uh, to see all these people for the first time on one call, because they're, they're, they're competitors, right? Carl mm-hmm. Allen, Jeremy Harbour, and Roland Fraser, they're competitors. Jeremy owns, I think, 200 companies. He did his last exit. It was $189 million, one exit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. and, and this guy's not even 50. He's like 42, maybe. That's you know, he has, his, you know, has his Rolls Royce in Dubai. And has his, we, we went to, when I was in Dubai speaking, went to his yacht and had dinner and stuff. Is you know, ridiculous. He's just so, he's so nonchalant and doesn't even matter. And it's all about the structure of the business. How do I get, how do I own these businesses but not run them? How do I make more money without spending more time? Man, that's a, that's a powerful thing. And most people do not think like that. And it really takes, it takes a certain level of being willing to step back and give up control, which I think a lot of people have a hard time doing as well. They think they need to do everything themselves or it's just not going to work. Well, a good remedy for that is get it, buy a company you know nothing about that you have to reply, re- rely on somebody else. And then you don't have it. You try to go in there, you're going to mess it up, right? So buy a company you know, nothing, you know nothing about. Acquire a company, a part of a company. You know, you'd be surprised how many people will do seller financing or they're going to do, you know, deferred payments or, you know, all kinds of, you know, leveraged buyouts or asset purchases or whatever, reverse, you name it. There's like 200 ways to buy a company for no money now, right? And if you can, I don't know them all, but if you can do that, I, I work with one specific model that's called the Weibo work in buy out, which I explained, take equity and commissions and a retainer for adding value. 
right? Yeah. And then after, I, I always have a three-year exit guaranteed. And so after three years, you exit. So just give me an example. Give me an example. One company, it was a generator company that started in a garage. It was a veteran and, and his investor who wasn't really an investor. Uh, and I, I charged him 10K for the introductions to distributors and uh, a retainer for, for 5K for three months, I believe. And then uh, 5% equity. Right. So that was it. So I worked about three hours for them over three years. <laughs> right. I introduced him to the distributor and I had a retainer for three months and I just checked in on him once a week and for, you know, for three months. Uh, a couple of minutes, what's going on? What do you need? How do you need? Okay, talk to this guy, talk to that guy, do this, that, and the other. And then after three years, I exited for 100000 So in three years, I made $110,000, $125,000 in three years and worked about three hours. That's badass. Yeah. And so that's just one example of how it can go, right? It doesn't always go like that. I had one company that took, uh, when I was about to exit, they took the, my shares and put them in escrow so I couldn't exit. <laughs> You know, so, you know, because they, 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 they didn't have the money and they were like, oh, shit, we don't want them to exit and sell it to somebody else. They wanted to buy the shares themselves and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, <clears throat> the, you know, contracts and agreements are only as good as the people who sign them. So it doesn't matter how. Now, and even even that, like when, when, I, when I do a deal, my agreement is one page. One mm-hmm. page. Like, this is what we're doing. <clears throat> this is what you're going to pay me. This is what you're going to get. Sign it here. Boom, boom, done. If you want a bigger contract, you want, and, and you, you got to do, of course you do for the, for the share agreement, you got to do all that stuff. The business owner. Mm-hmm. Right. So I make it real easy on myself, but the impact that I have on these businesses is no joke. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I can walk into any, it doesn't matter where I am in the world. I, I do this shit. Like I'm walk. I'm in Turkey. I walk into a, 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 a restaurant. One of my favorite restaurants. I mean, where's the manager? Come here. Look, man, if you just uh, this is optimize this and look at this guy over here. Da, 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 da. And they're like, oh, man, do you want to work for us downtown? I'm like, no, I don't want to work for you. Like, this is just what I do. I'm like, oh, yeah. I go to the dentist, my chiropractor, like helping them structure their businesses, marketing, like, bah, 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 all the time. That's how I stay in practice. Right? That's how I stay in practice. I don't just, like, do it at work and that's it. I do this all the time. I'm always adding value by solving problems. Remember, creating mm-hmm. space. Absolutely. So I want to make sure that I'm being, uh, go ahead. Did I cut you off? Okay. I want to make sure that I'm being respectful of your time. I have one question that I like to ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh, how do you carry the weight of your crown and make sure that nothing is slipping through the cracks around you, man? I think it's mental toughness through physical toughness. I think that um, me being in shape, training since I was 14 years old, I'm 56, still got the guns. <laughs> um, I think that has a lot to do with it. Healthy body means a healthy mind, means a healthy business, right? <clears throat> when you're healthy in all those three areas, all the, obviously relationships pay, play a big role as, as well. And I know that when I got a woman at my side who's at my frequency and supports everything that I do, um, then I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm unstoppable. And being able to lean on her, my wife, Olga, uh, whenever I don't feel that strong and that she doesn't see me as weak because when I come when I come to her, leaning on her, it's from a place of power, not from a place of weakness. And that's where a lot of women will shy away from a guy who's sad or panicking or fearful <clears throat> because they come from a place of weakness. Mm-hmm. I always make sure it comes from a place of strength. And so they don't lose that respect for you as the masculine man if that's important to you, right? Mm-hmm. It is to me because I'm a provider and protector. That's what I do. 
you know, I'm the one that goes in the restaurant, I'm sure you do too, and you sit back to the wall, you're looking at the exits and the entrances and seeing what's going on and who's got what and who's moving too quick and who's moving too slow and where's the knife and all kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Like I do that all the time, constantly, 24-7, without even thinking about it. When I'm driving, I'm driving, I see a van come up, I'm pulling into the other lane, just automatic. And so, like, I, I thrive on that, and I thrive on being the provider as well. <clears throat> so, yeah, I guess that <clears throat> that helps me carry the carry the weight because I know I have to. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, what is the best way for people to see more of you and get involved with you? I think, you know, um, if you want to see part of my private life and business, that's Instagram, Stephen Eugene Kuhn on Instagram. You see my beautiful wife. Otherwise, drop me an email, Stephen at HumbleAlpha.com. I solve the impossible and unsolvable problems. The bigger the problem, the better I am. The more people that say it can't be done, is the bigger reason why I'm going to do it. And so if you have any problems with your business, if you need to scale and grow, if you just need to, you know, just say like I'm stuck. I don't know where to go. That's where that's where most of the business owners come from. They're they're very successful or they're successful at their own right, and they know there's more. They know they can, but they're not, they're not sure how. They're pivoting. They have to pivot. And that's sort of what I help them do. That's it for this episode of Under the Crown. I hope you pick something up that makes your crown just a little bit lighter. If you did, I hope you'll take a second to leave us a review and let us know what it was. At Hephaestus Global, we are working hard to bring entrepreneurs and creators like yourself valuable resources and content that can help you get to the next level. If you feel that you have a story or expertise worth amplifying, make sure you head over to HephaestusGlobal.com to learn more about how you can amplify your message. You can also learn more about how we can become your megaphone and board of advisors to amplify your message to the right audiences while crafting a positive narrative around you and your brand.